The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. Hebrews 7 and verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point in which we are saying is this, we have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy place in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. Praise the Lord. Please be seated. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you again for this time. And now as we come and we open up your word, God. We pray that you would open up our hearts to the wonder and the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that according to your power, according to your mercy, according to your grace, God, that you would cause us to understand and to comprehend, Lord, with the saints, what is the love that you have for us in Jesus Christ. God, we pray that this afternoon would be spent, Lord, with people thinking about Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we would be blessed in the knowledge of your great love for us. We pray that you would help me to communicate um, truthfully concerning your word, God. We ask for your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So the writer of uh, Hebrews explains our need of a mediator, one you know who can bridge the gap between us and God, and he lays out the requirements. He's got to be the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He's got to be God's son, God's ruler over every, or the ruler over everything. Has to be made like us, yet without sin. He has to be greater than the law. He has to be a perfect sacrifice, the propitiation, the perfect propitiation. Has to be of a priesthood that's grounded on eternal life. And he has to be merciful, and compassionate, and kind to sinners. And then he says, and we have, this is the point, we have such a high priest. What, what a wonderful thing to think about. As you read Hebrews, it can be scary sometimes with the warning passages, but things like this are just incredibly uh, edifying, right? To, to read what we need, we need something much more, right, than we could ever do, really much more than we could ever hope for apart from God being good to us. And he says, well, here's the point. That's exactly who your high priest is. That's exactly who Jesus Christ is. He is such a high priest. So a few verses earlier, he says in 726, for it was indeed fitting, 
It's fitting that we should have such a high priest, right? The idea being that we have such a high priest that meets our needs, or he's one who's precisely appropriate. That's the, that is the type, or that is the high priest that we have. And it conveys the fact that Jesus, in contrast to the former priests, right, they died, and he's ever-living. And because he's ever-living, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, he meets every requirement. He's fitting in that way. And we might want to ask, well, fitting, of course, according to what? And the answer would be according to the law of God. And, you know, well, who makes him fitting in this sense? Like, okay, it's appropriate. He's the one who meets our needs. But there, there's a personal aspect behind this, right? Is Well, whose law is it? It's God's law. And he's fittingly appointed. Fittingly appointed by whom? By God the Father. You, you and I have this great need of someone who far exceeds anything and everything, right? That we could, way greater than anything we could ever, ever want or even hope for, right? And, and, and the scriptures say, and it's, the Father sees that it's fitting to appoint such a Savior for you. And so, so think about that. Okay, here we are. I mean, we're all Christians. By God's grace, our hearts have been opened. But we also know that we're sinners. We also know the depth of our own hearts. And God the Father says it's fitting that he would appoint Jesus Christ to be your high priest. So, after telling us not to set our affections on the world, Jesus says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To think of God the Father like this, fear not, it's actually my good pleasure to give you Jesus Christ. Fear not, little flock, it's my good pleasure. It's the thing that I desire, the Father would say, to appoint such a one that is fitting for your salvation. And he says, it's my good pleasure to do this. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, this is a sure testimony of Scripture that God wants his children to abound in the knowledge of their great salvation and of his complete acceptance of them in Christ. In short, God wants you to know that he loves you with an everlasting love. At another place, Martin Lord Jen says, this is the chief business of the Christian to know that God loves you, to know that the Father loves you. As we go through our lives and sometimes we struggle or sometimes we don't, but to go through life understanding this, God the Father loves you and he loves you so much that he appointed the perfect high priest for you, one who is exactly like he's described and who says, and he's like this too, he is compassionate and he's kind And he says like this in in chapter four. So therefore we can boldly, boldly go before the throne of grace to obtain help in our time of need. And we read that as a wonderful verse, okay? But think about this, when's your time of need? Well, sometimes it's just a time of need, just circumstances arise and it's just a time of need. But oftentimes, like the last song, just my soul is burdened. And oftentimes I'm burdened with the weight of my own sin, of, of, of who I still am and of how I still act. And at that time of your need, you can go boldly before the throne of grace. You don't, you don't cower, though we should in one sense, but we don't. Why? Because it was fitting 
that the Father saw it was fitting to appoint for you the perfect high priest so that even in the time of the greatest need that you have, when you see your sin uh, most acutely, that if you're in Christ, you can now go boldly before the throne of grace to obtain help and mercy in your time of need. So again, uh, fitting, he uses it, the writer uses it, probably Paul, maybe not, but probably. <laughs> but uh, in one other place, it was fitting, it was fitting that he would make the author of our salvation perfect through suffering. That that's also fitting, that the Father sees this is what's fitting to, this is what's appropriate, this is what's exactly the right thing to do to make our high priest perfect through suffering. So when I read that passage, probably like many of you, the, uh, the other passage springs in my mind is in Isaiah. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when he makes his soul an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. That it's the, it, it, was the father, it was the Father's will to crush the Son because it was fitting to make uh, our high priest perfect uh, through his suffering. All right. So, of course, it doesn't mean that he was made morally perfect. That's, that's just impossible. He, he is the son of God. It, it has the idea of an eschatological completeness. He's fulfilled what he was supposed to do. He becomes perfect that way. He finishes or he completes the work that he was sent by the Father to accomplish. So in the first place, he's sent, he sent to be both our, the offerer and the offering of our salvation. He's, he's the perfect sacrifice. So the writer of Hebrews again says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So he's pointing out in the law, you have uh, ways and means for uh, you know, ceremonial cleansing, but Christ through the shedding of his blood, right, cleanses us. So I mean, think about it like this, though, as far as being perfect, as far as fulfilling his goal. It really may seem strange to say, but it's true. If Herod had uh, got Jesus the day after he was born and killed him, he would have been the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He would have been without blemish and without spot. But he would not have been our perfect high priest because he had to suffer more. He had to go through the things that he had to do in order to be a perfect high priest. He was, he was perfect. He was without spot and, and blameless as far as a sacrifice goes, but he had to go through everything he, he went through because the Father appointed him to go through those things because the Father loves you, right? So in order to be our perfect high priest, the writer of Hebrews will put it like this, for we do not have a high priest is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Again, to think about as you struggle, you know, and go through life, and there are times when nobody really does know what you're going through. I, I may know, you know, kind of like what it's like, or I may have a similar experience, or something like that, but oftentimes, no one knows. No one knows exactly what you're going through, except for Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. 
He knows everything that you're going through. He, when we read the Psalms, again, as we read them, when we think about Christ in those Psalms, think about the betrayal of uh, you know, Ahithophel with David, and then, of course, that's a Psalm about Judas, and therefore about Christ. He knows what it's like to have a good friend betray him, right? He actually knows that. He knows it. Certainly as his people, as his bride, he's no, he knows what it's like uh, for, uh, you know, again, for husbands and wife to have the tension that they have or whatever, even if it gets very serious and nobody knows. And yet Jesus can say, I know exactly. I know exactly what that's like. And yet he knows in a way like this without sin. So that again, he is still our high priest. So that still we can go to him that we can find comfort. So that, you know, not only comfort, not, uh, I can give comfort, I can give comfort all day long to people, but I don't have power. You know, um, we were talking earlier about counseling with people, and here, here's the fact. I, ho- I hope I never say anything just of my own opinion to anyone who comes in counseling, because who, who cares, right? Who cares? Uh, but we try to apply the word of God, because the word of God is what comes with power. So Jesus Christ is not only compassionate, it's a compassion that has power behind it. It's a compassion that can actually lay his hand on your shoulder, as it were, but not leave you just stuck there. It's, 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 it's the mighty hand of God that comes upon your shoulder and is soft and tender and yet is able to lift you, like Eric's sermon, out of the miry pit. Right? This is fitting that we should have that kind of high priest. And the writer of Hebrews says, yes. And that's exactly what the Father thought too. And that's why he appointed Jesus Christ for you. So Jesus being perfected by his suffering carries then at least these two ideas. One is his, his status in heaven. It's, it's fitting that he should be there now, right? It's exactly the right place for him to be according to everything that he did. That's, he's earned it, he's merited it. It's exactly the right thing. It's exactly the right place. And then the idea there, also accompanying that is, and the way he got there is exactly the right way to get there. So Jesus ascended at the right hand of the Father through suffering and death. This, through suffering and death is exactly the way for him to get there, and his being there is exactly where he should be. He reaches the goal that his Father had sent him to do. He attained the joy that was set before him. For the joy uh, set before him, he endured the cross, despising its, its shame. Well, that consists in his now being crowned with honor and glory, being seated as a high priest at the right hand of the majesty in the highest heaven, and becoming the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Why does Jesus uh, do what he does? Well, certainly he says, I come to uh, fulfill the Father's will, and as we just seen, well, it's the Father's will that he, would be, that he would be crushed for our sakes. So the joy set before him has to do with his attaining to this place where he can be our perfect high priest forever and ever and ever. His joy has to do with this. One, I'll win their salvation. You know, I will be the sacrifice, but it's not only that, right? It's that I will attain to the place where I need to be in order for them to be there too. And he attains to it. And now his joy in that sense is made complete. He's accomplished what he wanted to do. Well, what did he accomplish is for you to have the right to be there too. A perfect high priest who is compassionate and loving and desires that you would be with him. And he desires that you would be with him because that's the Father's desire too. The Father desires that you would be there also. So 
All of our salvation, of course, depends on Christ being the God-man, the perfect, the perfect one in all ways. So at the resurrection, Christ himself becomes the first partakers of the benefits that he purchased. Again, everything that Jesus does, he does for his people, but he really truly does. I mean, he's the first of the resurrection. He is the resurrection, and we rise in him. His ascension into heaven is something new for him in a sense, and it's weird. You go new for God, well, not new for the eternal word, but yes, new for the God-man, because all he knew up until that point was humiliation and suffering. From the moment of the incarnation, Christ is beginning to suffer for us. And it's not until his ascension that he reaches unto his glory, a brand new state for our high priest, right? Who is there now forever, for, for, every, for each one of us, he's there. So now what's happened is that's now part of history, right? That's part of reality, that's part of history. And because it's part of history, because he actually accomplishes these things, now it's woven into the fabric of history, which means now it becomes accessible to anyone and everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. So one way, salvation becomes a historical reality because Jesus himself experiences redemption via the resurrection through the Spirit on our behalf, which becomes the basis on which we receive redemption. The point is that just as other events of history, once they were actualized, changed history, so the resurrection actualized in Jesus rising from the dead changed history, such that redemption is now not a mere concept, but the thing upon which all history revolves. So Paul will say this, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the age of salvation now that Christ has attained to what he wanted to do, what he desired to do was to be at the right hand of God as resurrected, ascended God-man whose suffering, right, uh, not only merits our salvation, but merits the right for him to be our high priest with, with, so that he can do what God's called him to do. And now this time, This whole time, not just today, this 24-hour period, but this time is the day of salvation. That that now when we go and we share the gospel with people, one of the things that we can be absolutely assured of is if they call out to Jesus, they will be saved because now is the day of salvation. But also also for us, right? Salvation is, is, you know, dynamic, comprehensive. It's multifaceted, however you want to picture it. But for you, for me, yeah, yes, you were saved the moment you asked Jesus into your life, right? The moment you truly believed and re- regenerated, and that can never be taken away from you. Again, in, in a small part, because our high priest lives forever to make intercession for us. But today, the idea of, of the ongoing aspect of my salvation, because, because, because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done, that everything going on for you today Everything going on for you today or yesterday or the day before or the year before or what's going to come this year is in fact redeemed by God to be part of what it will be for you to grow into the image of Jesus Christ. That there will be no suffering now on your part that will simply be, oh, too bad. That's just the way it goes. Everything, in fact, because our high priest suffered 
Because he suffered, he redeems all for us. Everything, right? So that, so that and now your life, your life is hidden with Christ and God, right? But the idea of everything about your life revolves around this historical reality, the resurre- death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we're admonished to continue to run the race, or we're admonished like Daniel was talking today. You know, those things all have, have to be grounded in this, that you have a high priest who is in the heavens, seated at the right hand of God. So, since Christ rose from the dead and ascended to uh, heaven again, salvation is now woven, woven, woven into the very fabric of history. And this makes necessary the actual saving of a people. So, because Jesus is at the right hand of God, because that's a fact of history, there's also this fact there must be people who get saved. Right? The uh, Christians then are brought into a whole new state of reality. That you're part uh, no longer of this present evil age, but you're part of the age to come. And yeah, we're pilgrims, we're, we're in the wilderness community now, but nevertheless, here's this. Because of what Jesus did, this necessitates, I mean, you could say for sure because God says it in his word, but I mean, think of it like this. Because something really important happened in history, history now has to track along that line, and one of the ways it has to track along that line is this. People must get saved. And those people who must get saved, guess what else? They must make it all the way through. It's, it, it, it can't be changed now. If you want to look at it like this, once God did that, then this part of history cannot be changed. God's people must get saved. God's people will get saved. And God's people will continue to be saved all the way until we see him. Right. So... History had to change and, uh, for us, again, for the, for the age to come to enter into this present evil age. And yet again, for the Christian, though it may not seem like that all the time, that's your reality. You're, you're, you're a part of the kingdom of God. You're, you are part, you know, the, again, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, we don't, we don't go to the mountain anymore that burned with smoke and fire and couldn't be approached where we approach is right into the, right into the heavenly city. And he's talking about Christians today, right? So, been raised up with Christ, enter into new creation because you've been made new creations yourself. Jesus, through his suffering, he takes on something new. He has what he didn't have before. Again, he has a mediatorial glory. Again, when we talk about this, we're talking about Jesus in his person, in his work as our Savior, as our Redeemer. He actually does do stuff now that he didn't do or uh, was not doing, right, in a sense, uh, but he does now because of, uh, because of how he suffered for you. And now, and now he has a new glory. He has the glory as the suffering servant who has now ascended to the right hand of God. He has the glory of the high priest who lives continually to make intercession uh, for his people. So by his birth, Christ became the offspring of David, assumed the likeness of sinful flesh, became weak even to the point of death. But by the resurrection ascension, he was openly designated the Son of God. And again, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's not saying the Word of God became the Son. 
At that point, he's saying he becomes the son of God and his glory as our redeemer. Yeah, you know, the fact that now that's who's up there, if I can put it that way, that's who's up there for us. So Herman Bavink, this is not to say and cannot mean that at that moment he first received the divine nature or the rank and name of God. Rather, whereas his incarnation, he exchanged the form of God for the form of a servant, at the resurrection ascension, he received the glory that according to his Godhead, he already had before. Became the Lord of glory, the power of God, obtained a name above every name, that is, the name of the Lord, and thereby the right, the authority, and the power to exercise lordship over all creatures, over all creation, as mediator, prophet, priest, and king, to subdue his enemies, to gather his people, and to regain the fallen creation for God. This is who Jesus Christ is, and this is the one who is fitting to be your high priest because it pleased the Father that he would be your high priest. So, you know, he conquers his enemies, and think about that. He conquered you, didn't he? He caused us to lay down our arms. I mean, what a wonderful way to surrender because not everyone will surrender that way. So it was pleasing of the Father that you would be conquered by the love of Jesus Christ and not simply by his power. That you would be conquered by the power of him in his kindness, in his compassion, in his mercy, and not merely as the fact that he's sovereign. That it was God's good pleasure, it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, the ascension and present session, what Christ is doing right now for the believer, it's forensic, it has legal aspects, it's covenantal, it's ontological, it has to do with your being, who you are. It's personally intimate. intimate. It changes your standing, changes your status, changes your nature, and it all happens because he loves you. And his love, again, because he's a high priest who cannot die He's living forever to make intercession for you. It's a love that never fails, even when we fail. It's a love that never can fail, even when we fail. One writer put it like this, intercession carries the idea of mediating between two parties. An intercessor stands between two parties, and he makes this distinction. An advocate, on the other hand, doesn't simply stand between two parties, but steps over and joins the one party as he approaches the other. So this is what Christ has done for us. He doesn't simply stand between and bridge the gap, though he does at the cross, but what he does is he actually, he actually reaches over, right, and walks us into the very presence of the Father who is well pleased that he does that. That is his joy, to see his son, to see his son's joy complete in the, sa- in the saving of his people. So, again, don't ever, and I don't know that people do so much, but I used to hear it all the time, the idea of getting into heaven and, and the Father there and all of a sudden looks over at you and, and it's like, what are you doing here? You know, And then, oh, oh, well, I'm with Jesus. Okay, you can come in. You know, No. The, fa- the Father, the Spirit, and the Son rejoice. Rejoice to see the Son's glory. And the Son's glory was to suffer and to ascend 
to his high priesthood for his bride, for his people, for the children of God. So again, the father is always well pleased to see the son represented in us and he's always well pleased to see us represented in the son. John Owen, gospel forgiveness, and listen to this, whose discovery is the sole support of sin-distressed souls, relates to the gracious heart and goodwill of the Father, the God of forgiveness. Is your soul distressed? Gospel forgiveness. We look to Christ, who was appointed to be our mediator by the Father, by the Father, by the Father, the God of forgiveness. He lovingly appoints to us our advocate so that we might know and experience the love of God. So Jesus' bodily ascension, again, in present session, marks the full acceptance of the Son's work by the Father. And again, that means he's merited for us acceptance by the Father. We, we really do have a merited acceptance, but that, that all has on the ground of it the fact that the Father loves you, right? And even loves you from, from, uh, from eternity past. There's never a time for the Christian that God the Father didn't at least in some sense see you through the lens of Jesus Christ, right? He always contemplated you. You, weren't, you were not always in the Son, but in some mysterious way, God always contemplated you through the Son. So that, so that when we speak about the love of God, to understand this, from before you were born, before you were born, but God knew you were to be born, he had set his affection on you. So that everything that transpired in your life transpired in such a way so that one day, one day, through whatever means, through whatever instruments he used, your heart would be open and you would know and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the Father who, he, you know, again, it's God's Trinity, so they, you know, the Trinity works as the Trinity. They're not independent in that sense. But nevertheless, the Bible does ascribe certain aspects of our salvation more prominently to one than the other. And it's, uh, it's the Father who chooses. It's the Father who elects. Now, of course, the Word and the Spirit do too, but the idea that the Scriptures want to get across is, is this. You're a Christian because the Father loves you. And because the Father loves you, he appointed Jesus to be your high priest, to make sure that you would get to heaven because that's the only way you're going to get there. So this is the design of the gospel, that Christ may become ours and that we may be engrafted into his body. Now when the Father gives him to us in possession, he also communicates himself to us in him and hence arises a participation in every benefit. When the Christian looks to himself, he finds only occasion for trembling or rather for despair. But having been called into fellowship of Christ, he ought to, so far as assurance of salvation is concerned, to think of himself no otherwise than as a member of Christ and so as to reckon all of Christ's benefits his this high priest that had to, he had to be all of these things in, in order to, to ascend to where he is. All those benefits, your benefits. He didn't need them. The word of God is eternal God. He, he, he had to descend from heaven, right? He didn't have to ascend into heaven. The son of God, as our mediator, ascends into heaven, having earned all these things. Why? 
because he wants to convey them to you because that's what he's doing is conveying them to us. To, to go through life, again, to go through life as Christians, I, I, I think Lloyd Jones has it right. This is your chief business to find out and to believe and to continue to believe that God loves you. Now, you, you want to be holy? Just, just really think about how much God loves you. You want, you, want, you want to be zealous in ministry? Contemplate how much God loves you. You, you want to be a good dad? You want to be a good mom? You want to be whatever, uh, whatever we're called to do? It has to start with this. You have to know that God loves you. And he loves you more, more than you think he does. And the scriptures are given to his children, his people, primarily so that they will know how much God loves them. That we can read this. You you need this kind of high priest. And he goes, oh, here's the point. That's exactly, that's exactly who you have. So, Christ is going to lead his church to glory, right? The second and last Adam, he has acquired eschatological life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus now, the God-man, is the, is the not able to sin, the not able to die one. That's who he is. And from his throne at the right hand of the Father, he now pours out the same spirit on his church and leads them, again, not back to Eden. We get way more than Adam ever had. We, we, get, we, we get everything, right? So that Christ has ascended to the right hand of God means that the new man is there. And this is important for us because when I use men, I mean it generically here. We're all men. We're all men and women, right? We don't need an angel at God's right hand. What we, what we need is one just like us at God's right hand. So God, uh, Christ's intercession has to do with our being able to be in the presence of God. And then here's the wonderful thing, has to do with our being able to stay in the presence of God. So again, the writer of Hebrews, because Jesus is the perfectly appointed high priest who merits his position at the right hand of God, he is able to save to the uttermost anyone, everyone, every single one, everybody who draws near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christopher Love uh, preached a sermon. He says, is it not a demonstration of great power to keep a small spark of fire that it shall not be quenched in a flood of water? Yet behold, that little spark of grace in you shall not be quenched in you by the flood and torrent of your corruptions. It is by God's power that the least measure of grace shall be preserved. If you're in Jesus Christ, even if you're, you know, the little tiny spark, the flood of life cannot overwhelm it. There is nothing that can overcome it. Your high priest guarantees that that spark will stay lit and, in fact, one day blossom, blossom into way more than we can imagine. Uh, Stephen Charnock, when the, when the seed of sal- saving grace enters the soul, though mixed with a mass of corruption, there will be victory. For as the weakness of God is stronger than men, so the weakness of grace is stronger than sin. 
again, to think about our great high priest is stronger than your remaining corruption. You know, we need to repent. Don't get me wrong. But even that's by the grace of God. But, but for the soul that, that is listening to the lies of the enemy, the weakness of grace is stronger than sin. Thomas Goodwin, for if one promise belongs to you, one promise of the gospel belongs to you, then all belong to you. For everyone conveys the whole Christ in whom the promises are made. And then with St. Augustine, who can worthily describe how much he loves the members of his only begotten? That the Father looks on you and because he's well pleased with the Son, yes, yes, we're not in glory yet. Yes, there's a work remaining yet. But more and more fundamental, he looks on you in his begotten and he is well pleased because he's well pleased with Jesus who is at the right hand continually interceding for us. So this is the reality of your existence if you're in Christ, whether you feel like it or not, this is your reality, right? That you share in the same heavenly calling that Jesus Christ shared in. That you are in fact in vital, uh, real vital contact with the world to come and the powers of the age to come. And they're at our disposal. This isn't a name it, claim it, or this isn't like some victorious life thing, but this is this. If you're in Jesus Christ, the power that raised him from the dead is the power that dwells in you. The same spirit that was in Jesus Christ is in you. Uh, The power of the age to come is already in you. Now, yeah, there will be a day when it's perfected in glory, but even right now, right now for the child of God, the idea of continuing the race, moving forward, is a because of who you are, right? Because of who you are, he can say, therefore run the race with endurance. And because of who you are, uh, the writer of Hebrews can say, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for this time. And Lord, we pray, God, for well, kind of to echo Paul's prayer, Lord, that we would come to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you would fill our hearts more and more and more. Yes, Lord, I, I, think, I think, Lord, we need to see more of our need of Jesus. But Lord, show us Christ. Show us Christ, Lord. Let us be a people who are continually looking to Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.